This is Hit Bull Win Podcast, the official podcast of the Durham Bulls, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. I'm Scott Strickland, Assistant GM of the Durham Bulls. It's another episode of Hit Bull Win Podcast. We are uh, we're finishing up weekend number one in Major League Baseball. Regretfully, no minor league baseball, but that gives us all the ability to pay attention to our favorite Major League teams, and we obviously hope you are... Uh, keeping tabs on our Tampa Bay Rays. A lot of former Bulls playing important roles in weekend number one. Um, in today's episode, as we record it here Sunday night, July 26th, we're going to check in with Neil Solans, former uh, Bulls play-by-play radio announcer, uh, and get his perspective on what spring training 2.0 was like, uh, what all he has seen from from his setup and, and how that setup has changed with uh, COVID-19 and social distancing measures in place for the media and radio personalities. Um, and then we'll we'll jump into the first weekend where the Rays got a, a series victory over Charlie Montoyo and the uh, excuse me Toronto Blue Jays, a.k.a. the Buffalo Blue Jays, um, win it win in two games in comeback fashion with a, a really wacky game uh, today uh, with game three of the series. Uh, a lot of oddities played out including the first extra inning game for the Rays and with a runner starting on second, which we're uh, here in in Durham. We're somewhat accustomed to the last two seasons. But um, a big thanks to Neil for jumping on the podcast with us us, and I think he gives us a great perspective on uh, on the first weekend. So let's welcome Neil Solons to the podcast. Neil, welcome uh, welcome back on, I believe you are the first um, repeat visitor and guest on hit bull win podcast wow that's it's not quite as big as like multiple times on saturday night live but pretty cool it's up there Close. it's up there so how uh how you doing how, how was um last time we talked to you uh was in the off season we were kind of talking about what this season was look like uh I believe we got all that wrong, um, we, we, but here we are um, at the end of of, of opening weekend. Um, so, what what all did you see from your your vantage point and your access points uh, for spring training two point and and in this first weekend with uh, with kind of COVID related uh, ramifications? What what has it been like, and 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 uh, what all have you experienced? Well, it's definitely been different. Um, you know, we so. For, for people who don't know, um, you know, there's social distancing in, in broadcasting, too, um, and for really all media. I mean, we're wearing uh, – whenever we're in the ballpark, when we're walking up to the ballpark, we're wearing masks. Um, the only time I don't wear a mask is when I am broadcasting, and even then, I have a broadcast booth for pre- and post-game for myself that nobody else comes in. So I take the mask off inside, but nowhere else. And when I do my in-game reports, I actually go up to the booth. So also I'm able to take the mask off. Um, you know, the media members wearing a mask, unless you're eating um, or drinking. Um, every coach, every administrator, um, and when the players aren't playing, they're wearing masks. So that part of it is all very obviously very different, but very necessary based on, you know, you take a look at how many COVID cases we've had um, even in the first weekend of play. Um, and as for the first weekend of play, um, I think 
it's felt probably more normal than I anticipated it would be. And I think maybe it's me getting used to going to the ballpark every day for three weeks um, and seeing intra-squad games every day um, and, and simulated games and the like. But either um, you know, I, I, I'm just glad that baseball is back and glad we're playing again. And, and I hope we can make it all the way through the end of October and the end of the season. Amen to that. Um, with what you saw, for, this is one thing I, I found a little interesting, Interesting, excuse me, um, was watching kind of how the Rays and Q built Spring Training 2.0. And uh, I saw some variations of simulated games that I'd never seen before. Um <laughs> Which was which was really interesting, and I and listened to some of your your podcast recordings um, about how there's going to be a lot of things learned during this uh, this past, I guess now spring training 2.0 that will apply in future spring trainings, whether there's um, a virus going around or not going around. But what did you see that the Rays were doing? Maybe that were was a little different than what other teams were doing throughout the league. It's hard to tell what other teams were doing, but I can compare it to, let's say, a normal, you know, spring training. Under a normal spring training, you know, you have six weeks. You have, you know, sessions where you're, you can bring all your outfielders on the field at one time and all your infielders together and you're in larger groups. And here, obviously, with COVID, you couldn't. And really, for the early part of either you were the summer camp or spring training 2.0, um, you had, um, you know, group, smaller groups of people on the field. Um, you know, you had intra-squad or simulated games, but it really wasn't until the final week that you had much nine-on-nine action at all. Um, you know, a lot of times it was a pitcher with his infield or a pitcher with an outfield, and at least that way they get sense of people in the field while they're facing hitters. And sometimes you're guessing, well, that would have been an out because we would have positioned this way or um, that part of it. I think sometimes it's hard to gauge how you're doing, but the pitchers are still throwing with maximum effort and the hitters are making maximum effort. And I think allowing bringing pitchers up from Port Charlotte from their alternate site allowed the hitters to get 40 or so at bats in a three week period, which normally they wouldn't. Um, and you hope that over time that also yields even better and better results as you go forward because guys are able to get that much up to speed that much quicker. Um, and I, I think most of the other work that I saw on the field was fairly normal. The, probably the other difference is, is that they built batting cages within the, in essence, within the stands or the open areas of the trough so that guys were hitting outdoors instead of, so to speak, um, outdoors, indoors, rather than underneath the cage. Um, which I guess allows for more ventilation and the less potential virus spread. And I think all of that is probably the best thing to do under the circumstances. Are they using both cages or just the ones down the, down the lines right now? Um, so I guess it's tough if, to see, obviously, yeah, right? if yeah. a guy's using the cage underneath, they said that was going to be a rare situation where maybe someone had to go and pinch hit. but pregame guys would be either hitting on the field or they'd be hitting in the cages down the lines. Um, okay. you know, I think, uh, I, you know, if they are, I don't see it because as um, so we're divided into tiers and tier one, uh, the media is all under tier three. So the only time we really have contact with the players is over Zoom um, or the coaches. 
Um, so we don't actually get down to field level. And I think that's the case in all the ballparks. Obviously, they're trying to minimize contact as much as possible. You know, I'm sure you've read about the, the many pages of protocols uh, that exist. Um, and the fact that all of that occurs and you're still having cases, I mean, obviously, I think certainly indicate how difficult this virus is to contain. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's an interesting perspective from from you there on uh, spring training 2.0 and, and getting getting towards uh, opening day, which I think was was such an important um, date and and this weekend, right, and in, in the upcoming um, two months of laying that groundwork and that pathway for sport in general to get back to playing and and um, and that's what the Rays did this this past weekend and opened up on Friday. Not not necessarily the common occurrence to start a season in July, but that was reality. And um, granted, there haven't been uh, any call ups from from Durham as they normally would, but. Some Durham pieces played some important parts in in that first game with, um, I believe, uh, if I'm looking at the box score right, it looks like three of three of the five hits that the Rays put up on the board uh, on Friday came from from former Bulls. Uh, but let's talk about let's talk about night one. Um, what what was it like going to the ballpark? Were were there similar opening day goosebumps to a degree, or was it or was it a little different? Uh, obviously, folks that have watched and and in this case listened. Two games. Uh, there's the piped-in, um, you know, artificial fa- uh, fan noise. But uh, what, what was what was opening day like? Well, I think probably first of all, I think for all of us, there was a relief. I think probably Charlie Morton, when he spoke to us, you know, a handful of days before he started about starting his first opening day in 13 years, said, you know, it would be great if my family could be here for my first opening day start, but. Um, they've been here for a lot of moments, and the reason I'm here is because of my family and the support I have. And so many people have done so many things to get all of us to this point, from players, the staff, the coaches, the management, the, the grounds crew, everybody, in, everybody involved, the Players Association, the owners, to get us back to this point that it does have special meaning. And I think, I think for all of us that were in the ballpark on that night, it did have a lot of special meaning because it, it, it was allowing sports, um, you know, f- among the four majors, it still was the first one to start games. And, you know, I, I think that meant something to all of us. Um, it definitely was different than a normal opening day. I don't know what I would have to, that I could compare to it. Um, hmm. I, I do think personally hearing crowd noise and intra-squad games that final week um, that was piped in, I kind of get used to it. And look, if we didn't have it, um, whether you're listening or watching, we would probably have to be on a seven second delay <laughs> because as you know, as a guy who's worked out on the field, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily always, uh, rated G go team go. It's not G it's not <laughs> rated G. So, so that said, it's, it's the right thing to have the, the crowd noise piped in. And most of the players that I have spoken to have said that it does help. It makes it feel more normal. Certainly, what you miss on an opening day um, is, you know, the 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 pageantry of you know the players taking the field and the lines, and in this case, the real true raising of a banner for the postseason trip a year earlier. But that part of it is different. Um, but I still think the meaning of opening day may have been as meaningful, if not more so than normal, just because of all it took to get here. And look, we're 
I mean, over the weekend, I think we had multiple days in a row of 12,000 or more cases in the state of Florida. I mean, you know, I, I do hope that having games back gives some people who are going through very difficult times in whatever way they're dealing with the virus, it gives them something to escape to for a few hours and enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny you I sit here and listen to you talk about the, the piped in uh, crowd noise and the covering up potentially some audio from the field. I didn't hear, even during today's game, which I listened to just about all of it, uh, I didn't hear any of the um, words coming out of either dugout towards uh, uh, sharing their opinion about the, the strike zone today. Um, I couldn't hear anything. And normally you can hear a little bit, right? You can, you can If you listen carefully at the right moment, you're going to hear a little bit, and and I wasn't able to hear any of that today. So, so um, fascinating. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it's a, it's a success. <laughs> so, all right, night night one. Um, Rays going up against former Bulls manager Charlie Montoyo in the, in the Toronto slash uh, at the time. I guess it. I don't even know yeah. if it was officially they, yeah, they a had Buffalo. Named Buffalo before the game, so we knew they were going to okay, play right home games game. in Buffalo. Okay, so the the um, two months. Toronto Blue Jays and the one month Buffalo Blue Jays as has uh, additional information came come out this afternoon about when they'll actually be able to play their their first home game there but um, Charlie Morton with a uncharacteristic to a degree start especially compared to last year um, Blue Jays got on the board first what did you what did you like about um, about what the lineup did and what Charlie did and what did you not like about it um, I thought I think I almost think in every game here you're going to expect the unexpected because the the preparation for the season is so different than normal. Um, you know, nobody's had a normal spring training. They started for a month. They stopped for three or four months, and they truly got ready in three weeks. So I, I think you anticipate that, um, and there's also going to be some nerves. And I thought Charlie was probably pretty good for three innings, and then in the fourth and fifth, some of it was a little bad luck. Um, some of it was maybe pitches that weren't as crisp or sharp. Maybe in two, three weeks, you start to see that crispness to his stuff. And then I thought the Rays did what I would expect, is that they got in a hole and they battled back, and the depth of their pitching allowed them to give them a chance to get back in the game. And some nights it's going to work, and some nights it's not. And on this night, it didn't quite work, but at least they found a way to – um, give themselves a chance in the end and, and you move on to the next day. And, you know, as I said on the post game show that night, um, the Rays won 96 games in 2019 and lost the opener. And they were 37 and 23 still after 60 games. So I'm like, there you end up 37 and 23 after these 60. I'll be pretty happy. BA okay. Was there a, uh, and, and obviously it's a little more, it's a little more difficult to pick up on. I would imagine it's a little more difficult to pick up on on vibes from the guys when you're not able um, when you're in a zoom you know, room get down there on the field <laughs> right when you're when you're in the uh i call it the egg crate room if that's okay neil we call it the uh, zoom room <laughs> the zoom room okay um but but when you're not able to kind of get that vibe was i'm, I'm curious though was there at least post game or pregame on day two did you feel like there was any type of a, a relief from getting that first game out of the way and and then saying okay let's Let's uh, let's go play ball now. And we we got that first one out of the way. 
it's it's an unnormal normal season from this this point forward. I think it was very uh, similar to hey, we got opening night out of the way because I, I remember walking into clubhouses and the Rays lost their opener last year and everyone's like, okay, well we got the first one out now now we can start to get into a routine because as you know this mm-hmm. game is so much about having a routine um, and having fun and getting used to and accustomed to that and most of the guys said even though a lot is different there's still a lot the same. The vibe in the clubhouse wasn't lost. Um, the enthusiasm and the energy of guys hasn't been lost. Um, and I think part of that is having such a young club that also is hungry, that lost in the playoffs last year, that wants to avenge that and wants to go further. And, you know, I think Eric Neander said it well during the middle of the pandemic when we're waiting on the restart that um, I think that the stoppage will make us more motivated. Um, because I think we were hungry going into the season, and I think that hunger is not going to just disappear over a three or four month period. What did you uh, What did you like in game two that you saw that might not have existed in game one? Um, probably the timely hit. There wasn't a ton of hitting, but the hits came at the right moment. And um, I also thought that you know something that we didn't see a ton of until Travis Darno arrived last year was. Some really good key at bats by the catchers. Um, you know, Michael Perez drew a, a leadoff walk, and I think it was an eight pitch at bat or seven pitch at bat. Um, and then he got doubled home by Jimon Choi, and that drove home the first run of the game and gave the race their first lead of the season. And then later on, it was Mike Zanino who had a, um, a single because he had come and replaced Perez um, because of some switches. You know, they pinch ran for Perez at the time. And Mike had the the base hit that started the three run rally that eventually was the big triple by um, by Brandon Lau. And obviously it was a different day because the lineup was different. You were facing, you know, uh, uh, a left hander in uh, Hyunjun Ryu and in day one, and now you're facing a righty in Matt Shoemaker in day two. So you had Choi and Jimon Choi and Brandon Lau at the top of the lineup. Different dynamic. You're still missing Austin Meadows, who's out with um, as he recovers from COVID and. Hopefully you'll be back real soon. Um, but you came up with the big moments and you're able to use, I guess, what you would call your A bullpen. You're still without Diego mm-hmm. Castillo, um, was was uh, not here for the weekend because um, his wife had a baby. So he was on the paternity list. But you were able to use the majority of your A bullpen and you use Nick Anderson and the, what I call the highest leverage moment of the game and he came through, and you're able to, from there, find a way to win in the eighth and, and hold on in the ninth. Always good to get the first win out of the way. Yes, um, especially last at bat wins. I always think those give a team a lot of momentum, and the Rays had two of them over the weekend. They had, I think, 20 wins or 19 or 20 wins last year in their final at bat. So to get two on the first weekend was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, I want, to, I want to spend a good amount of time on today. Because today, today was just weird. First off, uh, and it had the first touch, um, at least for the Rays. I haven't paid attention to the rest of the league or leagues or however you want to word it this year. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's been any extra inning games prior to there have, there have been. Yeah. Okay. Um, but but Tampa's first uh, touch with that, and and we've seen that obviously here in Durham um, the last couple seasons with the extra inning rule. Um, but, but I think it's kind of ironic foreshadowish to a degree that I texted you during that, uh, towards the end of the 
top half of the first. And that was definitely kind of a good little uh, projection of what the rest of the game was going to be like and almost had some bookends of of some odd plays. But um, Rays going, going for a series win. Um, and obviously that's incredibly important uh, to get a to get a series win out of the gate. By my math, as we were talking about before we came on the air, we're already 5% of the way through the season, <laughs> and it's only one weekend in. Um, but, but you know, I, it's not like, uh, look at the box score here, Friday, Saturday, five hits both nights. It's not great, but it's not awful. Um, and last year, and, and it almost feels like every year, the Rays are so up and down when it comes to the consistency of number of hits you're putting on the board. Um, good to see, you know, a, a good chunk of, of hits today, and, and obviously KK ending the night uh, or evening, afternoon, what do you want to call it, uh, on a on a high note. But what did you see today that that um, with a series victory that that gives you some promise going into the start of the next week? Well, I think it begins probably with the fight of the group. I mean, when you're down four nothing in the sixth inning and you're down 4-2 with two outs in the ninth, let's just say those aren't games you expect to win. But I think, you know, it speaks to the heart of the whole team and the ability to battle that, for me, stands out. You know, I thought through the series, even though you mentioned the results, I thought the quality of the at-bat was pretty good. In fact, I think today they were out hit 13-8. to But I think if you looked at, like, exit velocity, um, and how many hard hit balls the race had. I think they had more than Toronto in the game. They just didn't find holes. And I thought that the, especially when it mattered, the quality of the bat was pretty good. They walked six more times today. I think they walked 18 times in a three game series. I mean, that's, that's also means that you're staying in the strike zone. Um, you know, you know, I, I don't think it's a team that's looking to walk, but I think mm-hmm. they're looking to have good at bats and that's without Austin Meadows. So I, I was, I was pretty encouraged by that. And it was also on a bullpen day when, you know, you got nobody pitched more than three innings for Toronto. So, and I think we're going to see a lot of that in, the, in, you know, this season with pitchers not stretched out and having to deal with injuries and COVID and the like. So I, I love the ability to bounce back. I really like the late inning at bats. And I just felt good for guys who got rewarded. Um, you know, there was some weird uh, if you would have told me that Jimon Choi not only would bat right-handed, but would homer in his second at bat hitting right-handed in the big leagues, I would have um, said no way. And then I probably would have also said no way that he would have switched mid at bat <laughs> in the ninth inning from left-handed to right-handed because of an injury that brought a, a left-handed pitcher in. And he also was able to get on base there and draw a base loaded wall. So, there was a lot of different, but it was definitely entertaining. And the bottom line is, it was a win, which was good too. Absolutely, it was. I thought it was hilarious on the radio um, broadcast of, you know, it was joked about with him playing around switch hitting during spring training, and then today's situation unfolds, and I I, I, lo- I love when a broadcaster is speaking in the moment. And he's he he's he's not watching something and then talking about it. He's just talking about what's happening right then and what's going through his head. And it was hilarious when Dave was like, "I mean, yeah, not only do I think he will switch hit, I think he should jump to the other side of the box." Uh, and that's what happened. Um, obviously, a tough a tough break for Charlie and and the injury there, um, which we'll be curious to keep an eye on um, rolling forward with them because their bullpen obviously isn't. Uh, the greatest in the world, and that was kind of the one staple 
that you you have or or had there. Um, but also, you know, momentum is so interesting, right? When that happened, I mean, you knew the Rays were going to win. Like I I I had that vibe listening to it. It was like they're they're going to find a way to win. Hit Bull Win Podcast. We'll be back after this. Tell a great story. I think it's a great story. Um, two years ago, our first extra inning game here in Durham, um, I guess what would have been normally three, two and a half seasons ago now, um, we're playing Gwinnett. Uh, Jared Sandberg uh, did not make it to the end of that ball game due to some disagreements he had with the home plate umpire. Um, but uh, Gwinnett comes up for the top of the 10th. Damon Barry Hill, their manager, does not bunt. He elects not to bunt. Um, we eventually it got a little hairy. We get out of the inning. Uh, we come up in the bottom half and we do bunt on the very first pitch scene. Pitcher picks that ball up, overthrows first baseman, hits the brick wall, bounces into the outfield, bulls win on the first pitch of the 10th. Now, obviously, uh, the baseball peer is probably not very happy with that. I personally um, would love to see it kind of 11th or 12th inning later, at least give me one inning straight up. Um, but that's not reality right now. But uh I'm curious, were you were you surprised that Charlie did not bunt to start the tent? I wasn't tent. based on the hitters that were coming up. So Brandon Drury let off the inning. And then the guys behind him were Lourdes Gordiel Jr., who's hitting ninth only because he pinch hit, and Bo mm-hmm. and Kevin Biggio. So my thinking was, well, you're going to usually get those guys a shot anyway. A base hit's going to score a run from second base. They had a pinch runner, a guy who runs well in Santiago Espinal. I'm like, why give them an out? Why not see if Brandon Drury can work his way on base? And if he does, great. If not, man at second, one out. Man at third, one out. You're probably feel confident Bo Bichette or Coriel's going to get a base hit and drive home a run. So why not look in that regard? So I, 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 I was not surprised. And yeah. also he had used all of his A bullpen. So he was bringing in Shun Yamaguchi in to the 10th inning without a, ne- a safety net and having not appeared in a game in Major League Baseball ever. <laughs> and from what I had heard talking to some people who covered the team, he had not, Yamaguchi had not looked good in spring or summer camp. So I also figured, well, they might as well try and score as many runs as they can. You play for one, you got a chance of getting burned. Uh, they didn't yeah. really play for one, but they ended up with one, and and the result turned out. So I thought Charlie made the right decision. I really do. Okay, yeah, that'll be that'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. So Toronto gets gets a run thanks to a uh, an overturned uh, call at third. Not exactly a a great day for Hunter down there at third with check swings and 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 stealing third calls. Um, but the, but they get a run, and we go to the bottom of the bottom of the tenth. Um, now what I thought was interesting for folks who are listening to this, who aren't incredibly familiar with the rule, the, the person, the player who goes to second is the person who, who had the last out, who made the last out in the previous mm-hmm. inning. And in this case, it was a raised catcher. And in this case, it was the third of three raised catchers. Um, I, what were all three, was that right? That all three games, all three catchers were used the last two games. All three were used. Okay. Um, okay. Both wins. Um, so that's so, a lucky. The rabbit foot is using all three catchers. 
<laughs> I'm curious how long that will keep going. But uh, as a result of that, you don't have another catcher. Um, and so you're you're stuck, so to speak, with that runner on second. So maybe that, you know, a, a hit into the gap's got to got to go into the deep parts of the gap to to score that guy uh, without any doubt whatsoever, right? Um, but uh, the Rays put up put up two with a nice little walk off with with KK getting his first hit of the season, um, and and um, Martinez getting his first hit of the season, I believe, too, and that and that happened. He, he had well, a hit correct? the first night. He actually drew a walk in a lengthy at bat in the tenth. Um, okay, and you're right about Kevin Smith. Um, they didn't have, they actually, I, I thought it was really impressive on Kevin Cash's part. He acknowledged that he did not handle the X training well from the, the point of he had pinch hit the previous inning and he had a spot in the order. He took Yandy Diaz out, put Joey Wendell at third after he pinch hit and put Kevin Smith in the spot in the order, Yandy Diaz's spot in the order. Brandon Lau would have been hitting eighth in the 10th inning. He could have taken Brandon out as well, put in Mike Brasso or Daniel Robertson, not sacrifice defense necessarily, and allowed either Brasso or Robertson to run at second base and moving Smith up one spot in the order. After the Mm -hmm. fact, he acknowledged, which I thought was impressive. Most managers aren't going to say after win or loss, hey, I I could have handled that better. Um, But So I thought that was impressive and – you know, and fortunately, everything worked out in the end. Kevin Smith is actually probably the most athletic of the three catchers that they have on the roster. He's a former, um, he actually quarterbacked at the University of Pittsburgh in college for a year. So okay. there are many guys who, who can say they were a, a high level college quarterback. They're playing Major League Baseball. So he runs better than, I hate to say, it, guys who catchers hate to hear those words. He runs well <laughs> for a catcher. He runs better than most catchers. Okay. There you go. Uh, Better, better worded. Yes. Um, that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious. I haven't listened to, or I didn't listen to Cash's post game comments, um, but that's got to be one of those those ramifications, those dominoes of not having uh, a full uh, quantity of, of spring games to get used to that extra inning rule and to, or to get used to the the three batter minimum rule. Right. Um, they're learning on the fly, so to speak, to this. Right. Yeah, and I actually. Um, still don't know the answer to a question, which was, and it didn't impact the game, but Brian Moran had to be brought in because of Ken Giles' injury in the ten, in the ninth inning. Not that it matters, but finishing off a walk, the walk is, because it was a 3-1 count, is counted on um, the previous pitcher, Ken Giles, but does that count as one of Brian Moran's first, does that count as his first batter in the three-batter rule? I wonder just, you know, like for future right. situations, because that could come up too. And I don't, I honestly don't know the answer. I'm not hundred percent sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so wacky, wacky finish, wacky play over there at first there, uh, setting that up. Um, but Rays get a, get a, a needed win and a series win, um, to open up the, to open up the season. Um, I kind of want to shift now to, as we start to wrap up kind of what was, what was learned, um, over this first weekend, you know, other than the fact that we now have a switch hitting first baseman uh, <laughs> who also hit leadoff today, um, but um, there are some oddities, right? On the 
I picked up on some of them with the I didn't I, I guess I missed it that the official scores aren't in the ballpark. Oh, they're at home. Um, yes, they're at home. Uh, yeah, and they're... how about that? And they they I mean they're getting supposedly some better feeds, but uh, there was two instances right today on on stolen bases, not stolen base corrected one of them when the other one probably should have been uh, a stolen base as well, right with Guerrero Jr. I believe if I've got my memory correct. Um, but obviously so many oddities that, that people are going to start to get used to. Um, but kind of, if you could break it down, kind of COVID, what did we learn with the first weekend that's, uh, that we might not have expected going into it. And then what did we, what did we learn about the, what did we learn about the Rays? Uh, and, and projections for the rest of the season off of only three games. But uh, but what did we learn this first weekend? Um, small sample size, but I think we all, if we didn't expect it, we saw firsthand around the game that teams are going to be fairly fragile and health both in injuries and COVID are going to be extremely important in terms of keeping your group together. Um you know, you look around, I saw the Braves had to suddenly had to replace both catchers. The Marlins had to replace three players in a game day, uh, you know, and then you saw injuries to Verlander and Kluber. And today the Blue Jays, Ken Giles, Randall Grichuk. Um, it's it's going to be challenging from that regard. And, and I think, you know, players have told me they really need to be honest with how they're feeling. And I think that the honesty of players with the manager, the coaching staff, the medical staff is going to be critical. In terms of the Rays, um, I thought this team had a deep group, and I think they showed it this weekend because they played without one of their best relievers, without one of their best um, hitters, and without one of their best starting pitchers because Tyler Glass now is going to start the Atlanta series. Yet they still found a way to come up with winning two out of three. Um, and I, I thought, to me, that was fairly impressive. Um, and this team has a – the character that they had last year is not lost. Um, and, you know, the hope is, is that they can get healthy and be at one unit. Um, and I think the other stuff that happened really didn't surprise me. They needed um, to have their bullpen do well. The first two weeks, I think bullpens are going to, the depth of a bullpen is going to be most important. A lot of nights you're going to be asked where your reliever may, your relievers may throw more innings than your starter. Um, when you get down to 28 and then 26 players, I think it's going to even out and your starters will throw more than your relievers. But I mean, there's still going to be nights where it's going to be a challenge and it's all hands on deck and it's do what you can to win that night and then move on to the next day and find a way to bury it. You know, moment something happens 30 minutes later. Yeah, absolutely. It was good to see Blake today. Um, a little bit erratic, uh, first inning there and, and, um, Still put up, you know, uh, that was a that was that's a lot of Blake Snell numbers right there, right? Um, five strikeouts, um, two innings, knocked on the door to fifty pitches coming back, and and hopefully that'll be a a good uh, bounce back and, and springboard for him rolling forward. But uh, what can we expect? Uh, last question here: What can we expect next series against Atlanta um, as the Rays roll on? through uh into week two start to get to week two of the season schedule's not easy um they got to play 39 games in 41 days to start the year and i think the braves Mm -hmm. have like 20 straight days without a day off so um and they're playing as we speak in new york against the mets and having to and fly all the way to florida so what that takes a little bit of uh out of their (laughs) sails 
Um, and it's not like the olden days where you would fly somebody ahead. Now you don't do that because of COVID. That's another change that, you know, hmm. probably a Sunday night game, the Sunday, the Monday starter would have already been at the hotel sleeping and getting his rest. Not, not the case anymore. Um, so I expect a tough series. I think, you know, if you look at the teams, the, it's AL East and NL East. Baltimore's rebuilding. The Marlins, even though they took the three of this weekend, are, are rebuilding still to a degree. But every other team, I would, and with 16 teams now making the playoffs, we didn't even touch on that. That was night one. We, you know, hey, we just went from 10 to 16 teams making the playoffs. I mean, is really anybody out of it at the trading deadline? I mean, I, I would, I would think that every team still feels, hey, all we need is one good month. Yeah, absolutely. And the Blue Jays, right after a really hard loss, you could also say, shoot, we were three outs away from winning our first series. Um, and the the radio broadcast hit on their success on the the back half of the year there in in, in August and first part of September there of of playing some really good baseball with a young young crew and and uh, hopefully more good things to come from them for our buddy Charlie. Um, as long as they don't necessarily come against the Rays, we're a okay with that, right? They can beat the Yankees as many times as they want. <laughs> that's, that's correct. They can they can uh, season sweep the Yankees and the Red Sox. Hope Heim's not listening. Odds are he's probably not listening, uh, but uh, we'd be a okay with that. So, well, Neil, thanks for taking some time out um, after a, a fun weekend of Rays baseball, and and looking forward to listening to you and and Dave and Andy the rest of the season. And and thanks for uh, again, thanks for joining us for your second appearance. We gotta we gotta send you a Bulls mask as a present or something like that, or maybe a twenty twenty. This is Bulls shirt. Shirt. Yes, I saw those. Those were awesome. Yes, I would, incredibly I would, well received by the community. I would wear it proudly in Tampa Bay for all <laughs> to see. Awesome. Thanks again, Neil. We appreciate it. You got it, man. All right, Bulls fans, that was Neil Solons with the Tampa Bay Rays. Great chat there about opening weekends. How great was it to get some baseball back in our lives? Um, Thursday night was 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 fun watching, I guess a game in a quarter um, with Washington and New York getting rained out, but uh, Friday was awesome. A um, lot a lot of fun going home and uh, and watching our, our former Bulls lace them back up and and uh, and play a play a great ball game Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. So hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. Hope everybody enjoyed Neil's perspective um, about the new normal and what we'll all have to get used to. Uh, rolling forward in this abbreviated uh, wacky 2020 baseball season but at least we've got baseball all right bulls fans check in next time with us on hit bull win podcast